Praise God, you guys. Hey, uh, man, I'll do a lot of messages. I bring up parenting all the time, you know, but uh, I haven't done a series on parenting for some time, and I'm not about to do a whole series right now, but I'm going to do a message here and there that will end up being a kind of a renewed, uh, uh, just kind of an updated series on parenting. Uh, but I'm doing it in such a way where whether you're, everybody's either a parent or has been a child, amen? Right? <laughs> so we can all relate to it. And even if you uh, don't think of yourself even as a child or a parent, uh, this entire message will totally relate to you and have a lot of uh, important things for you. Uh, because uh, I know we're going through Revelation. Uh, we're at Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Next message I'll do will be on rewards, uh, which I was planning on doing today. But uh, it's been, just been a burden in my heart, you know, because I've had uh, a couple flew from a whole other state and they were out here and they, they visited and, and I met them once before in a, home, a, a live stream fellowship. And praise the Lord for all of our live stream fellowships out there. We love you guys and praise the Lord for you joining us and uh, the, the Blessed Hope live stream churches. We, we love you guys so much. And uh, I sat with them maybe for 45 minutes, an hour after one of the Sundays, just a few weeks back or so. And they wanted instruction biblically on parenting, you know. And uh, we got in a lot of depth and it just so happened <laughs> that uh, they were doing a really good job. Every turn that I made to encourage them to uh, uh, give them biblical insight and scripture, they were doing those things, you know. And I was blessed to hear that. And, uh, you know, some nuances and some new things here and there, but mainly the main things I was sharing with them were they were actually doing a great job as parents. And they realized, you know what, we just need to keep doing what we're doing. And I told you that it's not like, I mean, the Bible says that uh, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Amen. I mean, it's already there. I mean, we're born in sin. Amen. We're not born guilty. If a child dies at a month old, they're not sent to hell because they don't even know the difference between right and wrong. But they have a sinful nature and it's bound up in them. And the Bible tells us that godly teaching, godly discipline and so forth drives it from them. And it takes time. It takes years. In fact, how many of you are parents and you all of a sudden realize, hey, I've still got to deal with my flesh at times, you know? So uh, I encourage them. And even the Lord God, he is the perfect, absolute perfect parent. Amen? Amen. And he has wayward children. Adam and Eve didn't even have a sinful nature and they chose sin. And he says that, you know, the donkey obeys its master in Isaiah 1. And, I, and, and they put bits in the horse's mouths and they listen to their master. But my children of Israel have revolted against me. So you can even be a perfect parent and nobody will be a perfect parent except the Lord God. But you can be an amazing parent and still have that, you have problems with your kids, you know? And, but, but what we want to make sure is we want to lessen any kind of regrets we have in child training, amen? We want to make sure, man, that when we are with the Lord in the end, we can hear well done, good and faithful servants as parents, amen? amen. So there's gonna be a lot of scripture here, a lot of encouragement, but I thought in this series, and by the way, it's not like in the next, you know, 10 weeks, you'll hear seven messages on parenting. I probably won't do another one for a little bit, but I'm going to be popping these in here and there. Uh, but uh, I guarantee you, whoever you are, if you it, deep down in your heart want to be right with God, uh, this message will, you'll be like, well, that was for me, <laughs> or that really ministered to me. Because this first message is called Godly Parenting 101. That's the series, Godly Parenting 101. And the first installment is called The Fear of God. And that's, that's a topic that some people don't ever want to hear preached. 
Well, I don't want to have to fear God, and what's the fear of God? And most Christians have not heard full messages on the fear of God, believe it or not. I mean, yeah, we, we all need it, amen? And we also need messages on hell. We need messages on, on the wrath of God. We need messages on that God is a jealous God, all those types of messages, which you do from time to time. I mean, I constantly preach on the love of God, amen? But woe to us if we only consider the goodness of God. Paul said, consider, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. Uh, the, James said that God, there's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. So we need to see that God is loving, holy, righteous, just, but he is also holy, righteous, and just, not only loving. Amen? So it's a critical here uh, that we understand that we bring up our children in the fear of the Lord. So turn to Proverbs chapter 1, please. Proverbs chapter 1. And to me, this is a, a foundational verse because some of you are like, well, your, your first message on a new series on, the, on, on raising up children is the fear of God. I mean, you know, why don't we start with the love of God, you know? Well, hey, I taught my children from a young age over and over again, my wife as well. We, the, both of us taught them to love God and of God's great love. And that was our overarching emphasis over and over again. But we didn't dare leave out the fear of God. You know why? Because look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want your child to be wise and knowledgeable, and I can show you in the book of Job and Proverbs where it says it's also the beginning of wisdom. The difference between knowledge and wisdom is that wisdom is the application of knowledge to skillfully live your life according to what is right, okay? Like, for instance, you might read on the pack of cigarettes, I love to use this illustration, that the Surgeon General has determined that smoking will cause cancer, right? Then you have knowledge, right? But if you continue smoking the rest of your life and you never stop, you're not exercising wisdom. You're not applying that knowledge to your life. And God wants us to apply his knowledge to our lives, So it's the beginning of knowledge, and it's the beginning of wisdom. Now, it's interesting. It says it's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. He doesn't say the love of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And it's interesting that King Solomon, the wisest man in the world, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. And the book of Proverbs is laced from the beginning to the end, with the undergirding, foundational, essential teaching of the fear of God. And by the way, the book of Proverbs is a parenting manual. And you can't say, well, that's just not my approach. Well, then your approach isn't God's approach. And Jesus says, if you don't build your life on his words, you'll be like the man who built his life on the sand or his house on the sand. And great will that that fall be at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He was putting the fear of God in them that you want to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, amen? And the fear of God is huge. Could you imagine if our nation, if everybody feared God in the United States of America, we wouldn't have a bunch of people killing each other. We wouldn't have people passing out fentanyl and people dropping like flies. We wouldn't have any baby murders, period, amen? Babies getting killed in the womb. We're electing officials across the land, across the country who have no fear of God. Now, It's interesting, there are nearly 300 references, nearly 300 references to the fear of God 
in the Old and the New Testament. And it's not just an Old Testament. Oh, that's the God of the Old Testament. No, the God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. And they're already over, even though it's a lot smaller book than the book of Proverbs, than the uh, Old Testament, the New Testament has over 40 references to the fear of God. That's, that's amazing. He's the God of both uh, Testaments. Now, way back in Genesis chapter 31, Jacob is talking to his father-in-law Laban. And he says, unless the God of my father... The God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. The fear of Isaac is Yahweh. We're to fear him. The Bible says, God said to Abraham in Psalm 22, that I know, now I know that you fear me. So in the very first book of the Bible, the fear of God is at work in the hearts of those God reveals himself to and who know him. And in the last book, the book of Revelation, we read in Revelation 14, verse 6, and I saw another angel flying in the midheaven, having the eternal gospel. So this is an angel preaching the gospel to those who hadn't heard yet before Christ's second coming, and to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And the first thing he says, first thing this angel says, fear God. He starts off his gospel presentation, this angel, with fear God. Wow. Man, a lot of, a lot of preachers today, seminary professors, would think his theology is wrong. I'm talking about the liberal ones. No? He's an angel from God preaching fear God. Philippians 2.12 says to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, amen? But to work out your salvation with fear and what? Trembling. I love that. Because you know how many times the word trembling and, you know, who to, the Lord says, who do I look? To whom will I look? But to he who has what? A contrite heart and trembles at my word. So a lot of people say, well, the fear of the Lord, and, and, and those who do preach on the fear of God sometimes, unfortunately, sadly, heartbreakingly, reduce the fear of God to, well, it just means to have some respect for God. Nah, man. I respect people, but I don't respect them like I respect God. Reverence for God is more than a mere sense of reverence. It's also a sense of being awestruck by the transcendence of his sheer awesomeness. Amen? That he is the uncreated creator of the entire universe. Amen? And then you have to keep in mind that a few things that keep, to keep in mind when you think of God and the fear of God is why do we fear God? Because God's bad? No. Because God's perfectly holy and righteous and true and good and we are bad. And even if we were good, we ought to fear him because he's our creator and we stand before him and exist by his very power. And there's a few things you need to keep in mind. You need to keep in mind God's transcendence. That's why the holy angels, the, the, the seraphim, are before him with two of their wings before their faces. And they're called seraphim because they're burning. They're burning ones because they're in the presence of him who is a consuming fire. He is love. God is love, but he's a consuming fire. And they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty as they fly with a couple of the other wings and with two they cover up their feet. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You remember his transcendence and you remember his justice. 
He's ontologically holy in a way that we could never be holy as the uncreated, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent creator of all things. He's transcendent and he's just and righteous. He punishes evil, but also he's imminent. Not imminent as an I-N-E-N-T, but A-N-E-N-T at the end. That means he's present. There's not a square inch in all of space or all the universe or in our world that God does not occupy. He's everywhere. Oh, he's not in the devil. He's not, the Holy Spirit isn't residing in the unbeliever, but he's present everywhere. He's omnipresent, amen? So you realize, wow, he's here. He sees my very thoughts. And he's concerned, and he, he's a God of love. Therefore, he's concerned that I love my neighbor as myself because he's created us that way, amen? And if we are brutalizing our neighbor because he's righteous, because he's transcendent, because he's holy, because he's just, because he's imminent, and because he is love, he punishes evil. Now, it says he does not punish the sons of men willingly. He doesn't want to punish us because he's love, amen? Because he's good. But if we continue in our rebellion and we reject the forgiveness that he offers, we open ourselves up to severe judgment. And in the New Testament, there's all these references to the fear of God. I just give you a few. Uh, See to it, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 and 28 and 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, he's talking about at Mount Sinai, when hundreds of them were judged. How much less will we escape if we neglect him who warns from heaven? Therefore, let us, and this is contrast in the New Testament with the Old Testament, it's even worse to reject him in the New Testament than the Old because we have greater grace given to us and if we reject that grace with that greater light and love and grace, that greater rejection comes greater judgment. Therefore, he says, let us have grace or receive grace for we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken he says, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence or fear and awe for our God is a consuming fire. God is love. God's a consuming fire. And I taught my children these things from a very young age. Well, shouldn't you wait till, well, wait a minute. When I go to the book of Proverbs, the period of the fear of God is right there in the beginning. This is the beginning of knowledge, amen? Who am I to think that I'm smarter than God? Who am I to say, well, you know what, Lord, uh, you know what, I'm going to have to put a bridle on your word because I know best. No, Father knows best. Amen? Amen. And that's a huge reality. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear man who could destroy the body, but fear who? But fear God. He said this to his apostles, but fear God who is able to destroy your body and your soul in hell. Now, I think this is a huge key, guys, a huge key. A lot of people think we should have fear of God because he's a big God, he's a powerful God. That's part of it. But he is also a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. And a lot of people want to divorce the fact that God's a God of judgment from fearing God. But Paul says in Romans, or we can go over and over again, Hebrews chapter four, verse one, let us fear lest we you know, fail to enter into the rest, right? How shall we escape, he says in Hebrews 2, if we neglect such a great salvation? Or 
What it says also in Romans 11, Paul is talking to Gentile believers who are minimizing uh, the Jews and saying, well, praise God, we're saved. And, and, and Paul says, you know, don't be high-minded. He says, but fear, man. And I say, man, I added that, but so strike that. Don't be high-minded, but he says there to, to, and conceited. He says, he tells them the fear. He says, because if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And he says, uh, if you, he goes, he'll spare, you know, he said, then that's where he says, consider the goodness and severity of God. Goodness to you who stand by faith, you stand by your faith, but severity toward them who fell. And you show, and if you continue his goodness, praise God, he's, you will be blessed. But he says, if you don't, you'll be cut off. Therefore, he says, fear. So we're supposed to fear concerning the reality that God's a holy, righteous judge and that if we reject the blood of Christ and we go and rebel against the Lord and we do our own things, he's a consuming fire. He could destroy our body and soul in hell. Amen? That we could be cut off. Thus saith Romans 11. Thus saith Matthew chapter 10. Thus saith Hebrews chapter 12. Okay? This is New Testament doctrine. So the fear of God that we have, and I prayed and prayed and prayed that God would help me to help you understand this and help me understand it better myself because it's such an important topic. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And we would like to change the fabric of reality and say, well, let's just preach the love of God because that's enough. And... You know, man, that's the hill I love, I, I die on is the cross. You know, uh, the, what Jesus did for us, emphasizing and exalting Jesus' love over and over again. But you can't understand his great love unless you exalt and understand Jesus in his holiness. Amen? Amen. And, his, and his ineffable transcendence. Amen? Amen? And it's not enough to say, well, you know, he's just a big God. No, he's a God who judges evil. And the more I look at the fear of God and why they're called the fear of God is because it's associated with his judgments for those who rebel against him. And those judgments, the body and soul in hell, are forever. But I'll tell you what, think of it this way. When little Bobby, do we have a little Bobby in the church? Okay. I always said little Johnny. I thought a little while ago, poor Stephen Carroll. I was using their kid, little Johnny, you know. <laughs> When little Bobby, you know, is, his parents say, hey, you're not allowed to go out. We're going to be out late tonight. But you know, you're eight years old and we don't want you leaving the house. And they had a problem with him leaving the house before. Or you're going to be in serious trouble. And his friend knocks on the door and says, hey, come on, let's go hang out at that park. Little 12-year-old friend, I want to go show you some things in the park and show you, turn you on to some things that are really fun. And Johnny got us. Stern warning, do not leave or you'll be in trouble, right? Little, little, I'm sorry, little Bobby, okay? I saw Steve look at Carol. I'm like, oh, there, there he goes again. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, everybody says Johnny, so and we love Johnny. He's amazing. Uh, and now he's a police officer, which, by the way, it's interesting because it says that we're not to fear man, but as far as the office of police officer, it does say you're to fear that office and, and, and fear the law. Why? Because they bear the sword. Catch that? That's a great human illustration that godly Christians are supposed to fear the law. Unless the law tells us to do something contrary to God's will, then we're supposed to fear God first. Amen? But if all things being biblical and not contrary to God, 
You're supposed to fear them. Paul says, why? He tells us, because they bear the sword, because of judgment. Understand? How much more should we God the, uh, fear the God, the king of, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, king of the universe, amen? Absolutely. Now it's interesting because, hey, Bobby, let's, uh, let's go to the park and party or whatever. Eight-year-old's like, and you know what? He says, no, I can't. I won't. My parents told me I couldn't leave the house. Come on, man. I got some really cool things I want to show you. No, I, I can't do it. Now, we would like to think if that was our kid, he said no because he loves us so much. I love, he, we love to hear him say, I love my parents too much to break their hearts. Is that why he's doing the right thing? Yes or no? No. Are you with me? That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Because he doesn't want his Xbox taken away for a week. Or he doesn't want to, amen? He doesn't want to be grounded, amen? He's fearing the consequences. Are you hearing me tonight, today? That's why the fear of the Lord is so important, guys. Because the author of the book of Hebrews says, when we were children, we feared our parents. Now, I love that because it also shows us, well, how can you love someone that you fear? I love my kids. They know how much I love them. And they, they know, I'm sure they feared discipline at times. Did you guys? Okay. <laughs> They're shaking their heads up and down. Okay. Uh, but you know what? They also knew I love them. Amen. And because I had spanked them at times, and wasn't even perfect at it, I'm sure. And because I disciplined them and kept them from certain privileges and gave them timeouts and what have you, they feared consequences if they did rebellious things. But they were comfortable in my arms, knowing I loved them and knowing that I disciplined them because of God's goodness, amen? And because I loved them and cared about them, amen? So don't tell me in fact, parents, kids that have parents that actually discipline them and bring them up to the nurture admission of the Lord and follow through and are consistent with their discipline and, and do it in a caring, loving way and spend time with them and try to explain the, the need to be respectful and not to be rebellious toward the parents, amen, and toward the, fa the house rules and so forth. Those are the most well-adjusted children in the, in the universe, okay, because they know their parents care about them. Kids who go without discipline and training from their parents where the parents just try to be their best friend, become their kids turn into brats and they become incredibly disrespected. Because kids have that fallen nature and they'll see you as the one that's submissive to them. When you're, they're supposed to be submissive to your leadership as a parent, amen? This worked out really good. Uh, Mike and Lori, because you said, if I did this today, you'd have Troy right between you guys. So... No, they didn't say that, Troy. I'm just teasing. Yeah, it's good to see you, though. <laughs> if they did, I wouldn't have thrown you, them under the bus. But it's good to see some young people here. All those Troy's a bit older now. Amen. Troy, man, when are you going to sing up here, bro? This guy's got this amazing voice. No pressure, though, bro. Okay. <laughs> but I was hoping you'd sing this song at the end of the service now that I think about it. You guys ever hear the song, We Choose the Fear of the Lord? Oh, that's a good old song, man. We need to do that. So it's important that we fear God. It's very, very important. Now... Well, the fear of God is not just in Genesis, also all the way as I've shown you to the book of Revelation. It comes up again in Revelation chapter 19, 5, where the, 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 the saints are told to fear him, 
for his judgments. Wow. Tied to judgment again. Proverbs 23, 17. Listen to this. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Don't let your heart envy sinners and want what's wicked. But he says, but what? Live in the fear of the Lord. How often? Always. The fear of the Lord is something we always ought to be having. How do you apply that to life? You say, you know what? I'm going to constantly remember God's transcendence, his holiness, his eminence, that he's right here. Amen? And then he'll bring all things into judgment. Now, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think it's interesting that he starts off the book of Proverbs emphasizing this is the beginning. This is where you start. And then the last book he writes, Ecclesiastes, after he comes out of his black sudden spot or his black sudden state, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, same king, wisest man that, ever, that had lived before Jesus came, what happened? He concludes the book and he says, in conclusion, fear God. That occurred to me when I was thinking, meditating so much on the beginning. I thought, wait a minute, Ecclesiastes, that was written late in his life when he talks about the futility of his rebellion. He says, in conclusion, fear God and keep his commandments because everything will be brought into judgment. Everybody will be judged. Amen? Amen. So the fear of God as a Christian, that's going to be really healthy for you as a believer. You show me people that are backslidden and used to profess Christ, I'll show you people that do not fear the Lord. You show me people that are living a holy life and a righteous life and, and, and serving God in obedience and wanting to please him and, and, and consider his holiness and his righteousness and the beauty of, of, of who he is and the purity of his wrath upon wickedness. I'll show you people that are seeking to live a godly life. Amen? Those are people that love the Lord. In fact, it's interesting. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. There's no tinge to it. It's clean, enduring forever. It's not just an Old Testament dispensational kind of thing. It endures how long? Forever. There'll never be a time in heaven where the angels, even the most powerful cherubim, will not fear God for the eternal future. Amen? Amen. And I remember when I got saved. I wish I could say that when I got saved, the very moment I got saved, I just fell in love with God. Well, or I should say the very moment I realized that I didn't get right with God, I just fell in love with him in that very second. No, I was in rebellion to God. I was what the book of Proverbs calls a mocker or a scoffer. I was a disgusting in my heart as a 16, 17-year-old kid who said, ah, there's no biblical Christian God. There's something, but not him. Because I wanted to do, be my own God and do my own thing. And then God let me the hedges up and I opened myself to the demonic forces and I was channeling lyrics and doing all kinds of demonic things. I had a big wizard at the bottom of my bed that my next door neighbor gave me that she painted for me and I meditated and visualized myself like that wizard and started playing weird guitar licks and writing lyrics. I'm in touch with uh, my subconscious I think. Then I realized I'm in touch with demons because I started getting covers pulled down and turning sideways and voices and I'm like, whoa, there's something evil and they were evil. And I'm like, I don't believe in the devil and evil. Pick myself upside the head with a demonic T.Y. for it, and I realized it's real. In the midst of a state of paralysis, which would happen from my meditative states, after I started contemplating this, you know, thinking, man, I woke myself something. I cried out to God, and it stopped that very second. A week or two later, the same thing happened again. I cried out again to God. It stopped again. Then I knew it wasn't a coincidence. 
And I hit my knees and cried out to God to have mercy on me. And you know what? You know what moved me to do that? The fear of God. Now, guess what? I experienced his deliverance and grace from those powers. And I was thankful right away. But I was like, what was happening to me? He let happen. And that's more powerful than me. And he's more powerful than that. And he stopped it. I need to make sure I get right with him, whoever he is. And I hit my knees with fear and trembling. It hasn't left me to this day. God, have mercy on me. And then guess what? Then I began to open my Bible, a Bible I found. It was only my Bible for a short time because it was someone else's Bible in the house and it had the Apocrypha in it. It was a Catholic Bible, but it was enough there to read the Gospels. Amen. And when I saw what Jesus did for me, tears flowed down my face. and I understood what he did for me and I fell in love with him at that point because I started to see his goodness. Amen. And I embraced Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But it was a fear of the Lord that led to knowledge and wisdom in my life. It played a huge key. And it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's great to tell your kids how much the Lord loves them and tell them often and show that to them by being a godly example and and exemplifying Christ to them. That's critical, amen? We do that every moment of every day, amen? But we consider the goodness and the what? Severity of God. We preach the love of God, but we also remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom and it endures forever and it's clean and those who fear him ought to always, as it says I've read, ought to always fear him. Amen. You know, I read about a gal in a zoo that, well, she actually lost her hat and went over an enclosure uh, and she hopped the fence and there was a tiger there. And people were horrified because the tiger went after her. And she just, and, it, and there was just, that was, she went out the main enclosure, but there was another enclosure which people were concerned it was gonna get through and everybody's heart was struck. Now, how much more should we fear God? Amen? I remember I told the story before, but I'll tell it quickly in case you remember it, is uh, Dave Nelson. Some of you remember Dave Nelson, one of my closest boyhood friends, and we were in Israel together, and he wanted to go to the zoo. Now, I love animals. I'm an, I'm an animal lover. I've saved birds and owl, uh, uh, all kinds. Of, I love animals. But I'm like, I'm in Israel, and Dave wanted to go to the zoo. And I'm like, Okay, it sounds fun. I'm going to have fun, man. But I'm only in Israel. It's one of my first times there. Maybe my first or second time. I was like, yeah, let's go. So we went. And it was cool. But there was a huge male lion next to a female lion about 20 yards away. 20, 25. And Dave's a picture guy. Dave's with the Lord now. But he takes pictures all the time. And he's taking pictures of all the animals. And he was kind of bumming because the male animal was in the back of the female and he was sitting up and she was laying down. You could see him, you could see his mane and everything, but he wouldn't look at us. And Dave's like, man, I wish I could get him. We could, he would look at us. And I'm like, Rawr! I start roaring. The lion probably heard it like this, Rawr! you know, because <laughs> they're, they're pretty bad creatures, right? But I'm like, Rawr! and Dave's like, don't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean don't do that? Now there was no fence there. There was one of those, like, uh, those, those goalie things, you know, those ditches they dig. But the ditches they dig that are only, like, so long, you wonder if they're actually going to work if the animal really wanted to jump. It's like 10 feet wide. You're like, do you dig? Well, I mean, it was not very deep. It was probably plenty deep. It wasn't very wide. The lion turns around and looks at us. I'm like, cool. That cool lasted. I don't know if I got the whole word out. Oh, I got a lump in my throat because he turned around and bolted right at me as fast as he could. It wasn't like trotting. 
And I'm like, I grabbed Dave, put him in front of me. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I didn't have time to think about that. Thank God I didn't do that. But I was like, I, I turned around and I looked and I saw a golf cart. Like it was just sitting there, that they, not golf, some kind of cart they drive. And I'm like, that ain't going to work. And I just, and I look back and he's sitting there at the edge looking at me. And I'm like, oh. hi, Mr. Lion. I didn't even talk. I just like, Dave's like, you idiot. <laughs> and I was being an idiot. And I'm like, and we walked away like, wow. And you know what? The fear of that lion was in me. And Jesus is the lion of all lions. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Amen. Creator of the universe. That lion is a little dinky picture of his power. You don't mock a regular lion, I found. Unless I might, I wasn't trying to mock him. I was trying to give him a look, but I think he took it wrong, you know. So, that was crazy. But the fear of the Lord is so important. But we need to realize that God is perfectly good, though, you know. And it's interesting you want to teach your children the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is connected radically to obedience in the Bible. And a lack of the fear of the Lord is connected to disobedience. And that's true with us. That's why I said this message applies to each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. In fact, listen to this. There's a clear link, a clear connection between fearing God and obedience. Psalm 112, verse 1. How blessed is a man who fears the Lord. Blessed! Who greatly delights in his commandments. Wow. Notice the connection between fearing the Lord and greatly delighting in his commandments, right? Psalm chapter 128, verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. It's connected to walking in his ways. Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is, who is uh, there among you that fears the Lord? that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Isaiah 8, 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. By the way, you know how you overcome other fears that are unbiblical and ungodly in your life? You fear God. That's the context of this in Isaiah, is that they're saying, conspiracy, conspiracy, oh no, no. He says, fear God. Don't fear, the, fear what's going on around you. Fear God. Amen? Listen to the connection between obedience and fearing the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. His commandments are for our good, amen? amen? They're for the good of others, so we love them as we love ourselves, amen? So we love God with everything we have, so it's for the good for others, but it's also for the good for, for us, amen? amen? I know when my children were obeying the Lord and obeying his word and, and our teaching, it was not only good for their siblings, but it was good for them. It gave them peace and, and, and blessing. Deuteronomy 10, 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. And you shall serve him and cling to him. Now look at how the Bible describes the wicked in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Paul quotes a lot of Old Testament passages about the human depravity that the human race struggles with. 
And we are depraved from head to toe. Amen? We have nothing good in us to offer to God. Amen? We aren't as wicked as we could get, but we're incredibly wicked and deserve to be judged. Amen? Jesus said to his own disciples that you being evil know how to give, give gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Amen? So even disciples that are following him are cleansed through the word they've spoken to them. In their fallen nature, there's evil there. That's why they had to deny themselves. Amen? Take up their cross and follow him so they didn't fulfill wicked urges and, and crave evil things. Well, guess what? He's summing up a lot of the wickedness of the human race and showing the need that we have for grace, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. In Romans 3, and he says, there's no, no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Pretty heavy, huh? Listen to how he sums it up at the very last verse right here. There is no fear of God before their eyes. When people don't fear God, they live wicked, perverse lives. Now, the Bible over and over again talks about how the fear of the Lord is to turn from evil. In fact, throughout Proverbs, there's so many Proverbs that talk about fearing God. And throughout the book of Psalms, Psalm 34, 11, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. 1, 1, 1 11, 10, I should say, of, of Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, 1, 7 was the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs, this is Psalm 110 or 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. If you practice the fear of the Lord and you consider how awesome God is, you'll get a good understanding. Why? Because you're going to want to understand what it means to please him. You're going to under, want to understand what he requires of you. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to do what's right, right? To love mercy. Be a merciful person, for God's had mercy upon you, right? And walk humbly before thy God. Why? Because he's the thrice holy, almighty God, amen? And we're going to stand before him. Listen to this, Proverbs 2, 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. I mean, you can go, if you're still in Proverbs, look at chapter 2, verse 5. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of the Lord. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. What? Fear the Lord and what? Turn away from evil. You see the connection between fearing God and obeying his commandments and turning away from evil. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. And it's just all over through the book of Proverbs. Uh, we read this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Not just turn away from it, but to hate evil. If you're having a problem of being attracted to evil, you need to fear God more. You need to recognize you're going to stand before him. Amen? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. When something comes alluring that's an ungodly person or someone who's going to entice you and you're, in a, you're married or not even married, but they're just, Satan's using them to entice, you're going to hate the enticement. You're going to hate the evil. Right? Something comes in and is blaspheming God in some movie and stuff. You're going to hate that. Amen? Ungodly music that's perverse and promoting wickedness. You're going to hate that if you fear God. If you don't fear God, you're going to say, oh, I don't have a problem with Black Sabbath. I don't have a problem with Eminem cursing and calling women hoes and, and, and talking about this, that, and the other and, and, and uh, his perversion and, and devil worship. 
Because, you know, I'm a Christian, but you know what, Eminem's cool. You don't fear God, man. I love you, I'm telling you the truth. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. He hates Eminem's mouth and the mouth of most of these rappers who are speaking and singing or rapping perverse things. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is again in the book of Proverbs. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life and the years of the wicked will be cut short. Proverbs 14, 26, uh, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. You want to have confidence in life? Fear the Lord. Amen. 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The one who turns away from the snares of death, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Amen? I love that, man. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Chapter 16, verse 6 of Proverbs, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Thank you, Jesus. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Wow. You know when you fear the Lord, not, that not one hair of your head will perish? Wait, I thought we could even get our heads cut off. Yeah, but not one hair on your head will perish because you'll be resurrected with a full head of hair, man. Amen? <laughs> Proverbs 22, 4, the reward of humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Wow. 13, 19 of Proverbs, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. 14, 16, one who is wise cautions, is cautious. It's because he fears God and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Remember the book of Job? You know how God praises Job? It's a trip. He just, he loves Job so much. He says there's no one like him in all the earth. And what was it about Job that God was just so blessed by? Job chapter one. If you want, you can turn there. Job chapter one. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. Verse one. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. And you know what? He brags about Job to Satan in verse eight. And he says to him, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? How there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You want to bless God's heart? Fear him, man. Amen. Turn away from evil. You want to be a blessing to your family? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know, I was been reading off and on through the years. I, I save him when I see him because it blows me away. Deep down, we know there's right from wrong. Deep down, we know that atheism is a joke. Deep down, we know that we have a conscience that shows us that, that there's right and wrong. There'd be no sense of right and wrong if there's no measurement of right and wrong, if there's no objective reality. Otherwise, you just have subjective ethics based on relativism, which don't mean anything, and you can't even condemn Hitler for the Holocaust because there's no objective measuring thing to say what's right or wrong. It's the law of the jungle. And he wanted the Germans to prosper, and it's a law of the jungle. How can, you, how can you condemn Hitler, though, if you're a relativist, if you're an atheist? Because you can't say that's right or wrong. A man bludgeons and beats, rapes a woman and beats her to death or molests a kid. You can't say that's right or wrong because you believe we just came from, you know, slime. And we're all basically slimy. And how could one piece of slime say you're slimier than me? You're supposed to be slimy. You know what I'm saying? So 
uh, but I was reading uh, some time ago, the Bible actually says in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, indeed, when Gentiles do not ha- who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, meaning the written law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing and now even defending them, Okay, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says that we're born with a conscience. You know, even Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the most noted, notorious, you know, infamous uh, serial killers, said he had a conscience when he was young. Do you know Jeffrey Dahmer? Big series on him on Netflix right now which I don't even plan on seeing personally. I've studied serial killers and I've seen enough. But he said when he first started killing, he started with a dog and he felt really bad about it. A dog. This is before at the age of, you know, at 17. Then he starts cannibalizing. He ate like, killed and ate most of 17 different people before he got caught. He would put a satanic altar up and blast Black Sabbath, satanic band, and no conscience. But he said he had a conscience when he was younger. And he even started going to church. But, you know, a Yale prof- for a little bit, and then it wore off. He just, he wasn't brought up with biblical morals. He knew deep down he, there was something wrong with him. He wasn't brought up to follow the Lord. But they both hardened their hearts. The Bible says not to harden your hearts. Everybody's going to have sinful, wicked urges, okay? Hopefully not to that degree, but it says he's not tempted. He's tempted like other people, so some people have weird urges like that. You have to fear the Lord, man. And you know, it's interesting because a study that caught my eye some time ago by Professor Paul Bloom at Yale University, studying the conscience for, from, from children uh, uh, when they're very young, months old, him and his team at Yale. And he said this, a growing body of evidence suggests that humans do have a rudimentary moral sense from a, the very start of life. Listen to what else Professor Bloom of Yale said that their studies found the, di- uh, the difference between good and bad may be hardwired into the brain at birth. That's what the evidence was indicating. Again, I laugh at these studies. I'm like, oh, it's cool you're studying that, but guess what? Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. Well, it's right there. It's going to save you some time, but it's great that you're confirming over and over again what we believe. And it's just interesting. Jeffrey Dahmer, how could he just do that without, I mean, how many feel, you know, Bad when you step on a bug. Well, inadvertently outside, not in your spider in your room, but you know. Or you just, sometimes we, you know, some people have just destroyed their conscience. It says you can sear your conscience with a hot iron. And I thought it's interesting when I studied Dahmer, and because I wanted to see what their mental and moral profile was when they were young. And I was able to discover both those guys start out with a conviction that what they were doing was wrong. But you know what uh, Bundy said? He said, raping and murdering a woman became nothing more to me than just eating a, a pig. Because he didn't see that we were created in God's image. He didn't have a transcendent understanding of who God is anymore. Even though God put it in them from the beginning, Romans chapter 1, amen, and reveals his creation by the things he's made. So we're there without excuse. And Jeffrey Dahmer, he said he had no acceptable ranges of morality because he accepted the lie of Darwinism. In fact, I've got a little clip here we're going to play right now where um, he's in the news a lot lately because of the Netflix series. But one thing they're not telling you is what you're going to see here. 
They'll talk all about Dahmer, but you're not going to see that he blamed, he said that Darwinism is what helped create his idea of it's okay to cannibalize people. And we leave that before God, amen? I do know that Jesus died for all sin. And if somebody truly repents of their sins, they'll be cleansed. And if we say, well, how could God cleanse that guy? Well, there's probably a lot of angels saying, how could God cleanse us guys, right? You know? So I leave that before the Lord. But uh, this is the obvious, you know? And I asked a, a person or two that had watched that series. I go, did they bring that out? That he said he had adopted a mentality that there was really no objective morality because he rejected God and he had basically had no fear of God. He wanted to be his own, not bow before anybody, but be his own God. And that's how not a few, but millions and millions of people are living today. They're not all going to turn into cannibals, you know, like he did, but they're going to be doing a whole lot of wicked things and just look around what's going on in the streets, you know. I'll tell you what right now. If you were driving through a really horrible area in one of the worst cities in the country and your wife was like, you can't get off the freeway here. I got gas. And you get off, but you run out of gas a half a mile from the gas station and you get out and you see 10 dudes coming toward you, walking toward you. And it's like one in the morning. Would you rather they be atheistic gangbangers or you realize they just came from a Bible study? Don't tell me, don't lie to me. If they love God and they fear God and they love their neighbors themselves, you'd much rather see Bible than hear them talking about the Lord, amen? And then you run in and say, oh, praise the Lord, amen? Don't tell me what you believe doesn't affect your behavior, okay? Lord God, have mercy. Ben Carson, who ran for president a few years back there, uh, who was actually the uh, top pediatric neurosurgeon at John Hopkins University there in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and the first one to separate conjoined twins. Uh, there's a, I think it's, is it called Gift Golden Hands or something like that? It's a really good documentary on him. Uh, I love Ben Carson. He said this, ultimately, if you accept the evolutionary theory, you dismiss ethics. You don't have to abide by a set of moral codes. Now, I like the way he put that. He didn't say you can't have a moral code. You can still drop a moral code, but it's meaningless ultimately. Now, it doesn't go beyond you. You can change it at a whim as soon as you have a different feeling. Because you dismiss, you dismiss ethics. You don't have to abide by a set of moral codes. You determine your own conscience based on your own desires. You have no reason for things such as selfless love. When a father dives in to save his son from drowning, he goes, you could be like Lucifer who said, I will make myself like the most high. He's so right. You know, that's what happens today in the world that we live in. People are their own little gods, and they do their own, they do whatever they can get away with often. And it's just getting uglier and uglier out there. So it's imperative. How do you apply this to your family life? You teach your children about the Lord, amen? You give them evidences throughout their lifetimes for the fact that there is a creator. You realize that Satan wants them to get to the point where he, they don't submit to the creator, and that starts with trying to get them not to believe in him. And that's why the very first words in the Bible are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? You point out to them in Romans chapter 1 that he's understood even not only this fact that he exists, but his eternal nature, amen? His divine attributes, right? His invisible qualities are understood by the things he's made, right? 
I trained up our children talking about the evidences from DNA. By the way, Anthony Flew, Anthony Flew was a top atheist debater for years before Dawkins came around. And Dawkins isn't considered much of a debater, by the way. He avoided William Lane Craig for years and years. But he was a top evolutionary debater, and he wrote a book before he died called There Is a God. And he said DNA evidence proved it to him. That's written code. That's very, that we could never do. It can't be an accident. It's all about how what we look like and everything is written according to code. And no writing, by the way. You don't have writings, intelligible writings that are written by accident, guys. And it's deeper than anything, as Bill Gates admitted, that the, 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 the computer code is nothing compared to the code that's in our body. Right. How microscopic and how deep it is. And it's processed in a processor. It's multidimensional, comes out backwards, and it's all about what every organ's gonna be like and everything. And by the way, you know that the processor is dependent upon the code? Because the code says what the process is supposed to be like. But the, pro the code is dependent upon the processor. You can't have one without the other. Come on, guys. It's just obvious. But you give evidences to your children of a creator. Amen. And you talk about how he's a good creator. You take them to see nature. You say, look how powerful our God is. Amen. Just, and when you can't go out and see nature, you, you thank him for the food that you have at your table. Amen. And you honor him. Amen. And respect him and glorify him. And you speak of him often, always in a good way, never questioning him in front of your kids, amen? And loving on him. And you also let them know that he is a mighty God. Zephaniah chapter 3, 17 says, the Lord your God is in the midst of you. The Lord the God, your God who is in the midst of you is mighty, amen? And over and over again, we read that he's almighty. You share with your children the benefits of, of, of knowing God, the benefits of fearing him. Okay, first, it, it, one of the things you keep in mind, the fear of the Lord lengthens life. Proverbs 10, 27 says, 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are shortened. Okay, that's heavy. They're a weapon against sin. Proverbs 20, 20, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, 20 says this, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you so that you will fear him to keep you from sinning. Amen. The fear of the Lord is clean, amen? It's clean. I already mentioned the psalm that says it's clean, enduring forever. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Your children will not grow in holiness if they don't fear God. Amen. You need to perfect holiness fear of God through preaching on the wonderful and beautiful fear of God. Because otherwise, kids will fall into immorality. What happens? I remember falling down as a kid physically, stubbing your toe, hitting the, hitting the, the pavement, scratching my elbows. What would your parents put on you? Neosporum or peroxide, right? To clean those wounds, amen? Well, there's spiritual wounds our children have. They're self-inflicted often. And those are clean, cleansed through the fear of God. And their sins are cleansed by the blood of Christ, Amen. It's a fountain of life. It's a benefit. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Psalm 33, 18 says, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. I love this one. This proverb says, Whatever, uh, where, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress for their children, it will be a refuge. By the way, parents, you know how this applies to your life? You make sure you fear the Lord. 
says, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. It needs to start with you. That's why it's interesting to me that in Deuteronomy, it talks about your children and your grandchildren fearing God and obeying his commandments, but it says you must fear the Lord first. Then your children and your grandchildren. How do you apply to your life? You make sure you have a healthy fear of God and that your children see that in your life. Amen? And that you revere him, that you honor him, you praise him amongst your kids, and you live a life where they can see that you truly fear the Lord. Amen? Then that will trickle down more likely into their hearts. The fear of the Lord is a treasure. I want my kids to have treasures. I want your kids to have treasures. Amen? Isaiah 33, 6 says, He will be a sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I want my children to unlock and their children and their children's children and on and on and your children and your children's children and on and on until the Lord comes to unlock the treasure of knowledge and wisdom. Who is Christ, by the way? Because when they start fearing God, they start seeking to obey his commandments, they're going to fall into sin at times still. They're going to fall short of God's glory. They're going to realize, man, I'm a failure. And guess what? The Bible uses that's part of God's wisdom. Because the law leads us to who? It's a pedagogy in the Greek. A nursemaid that leads us to Christ. Because we realize I can't make it. I fear God, I want to do what's right. But man, I got this nature I struggle with and I fall short. And guess what? You preach Jesus to them, man. You preach the love of God right alongside the fear of God and that God has given himself for you. He became a man because he doesn't want to punish you forever and he took the punishment that you deserve upon himself upon the cross and he vicariously satisfied the, the payment that God's wrath deserved by taking the, your punishment upon himself so you can have mercy, so you can be forgiven, so you can be cleansed, so you can have intimacy with God, amen? And you just you preach the gospel to them. Amen. Colossians 2.8 says, in Jesus, in him lie all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, how is the, how is the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge and wisdom? It ultimately leads you to Jesus, God in the flesh. You see me, you've seen the Father, and a relationship with him, and in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.8. The fear of the Lord brings special blessings. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. That's uh, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. That was Psalm, I'm sorry, 31, 19. Proverbs 22, 4 says, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Wow. Teach your children to fear the Lord. Psalm 12, I'm sorry, Samuel, 1 Samuel 12, 24. Above all, above all, fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. And here's the scripture I was mentioning in Deuteronomy that ties your children's obedience into you first fearing God. These are the commandments, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed to me to teach you to observe in the land that you are choosing the Jordan to, in the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and grandchildren may fear the Lord your God all the days of your lives, all the days of your lives by keeping all the statutes and commandments that I give you so that your days may be prolonged. Now, turn so Psalm 1, let's do this kind of quick. Psalm 127. I love this psalm. And I'll just say 127, go to 128 right after that. But Psalm 127, it says, except the Lord keep the house, right? The labor is labor in vain, right? Yep. Except the Lord watch over the city, the watchmen watch in vain, amen? And we want to make sure that 
that we are seeking the Lord and we're putting him first in our lives. And that's in 127. Now it's interesting, a very short psalm right after that. Unless the Lord build the house, the laborers labor in vain, right? Except the Lord keep the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Look at chapter 128 now. How blessed is everyone who what? Fears the Lord. Who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Do you want to be happy when you're eating? Do you want things to go well with you? Fear the Lord. Amen. Verse 3. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Isn't that, a, isn't that awesome? That's like bookends right there. And they use this horticultural, these agricultural, these because it's an agrarian society. They use these picturesque, beautiful plant life illustrations of just budding, beautiful plants. And they're saying, hey, your wife, your children are going to be, but it's got to start with you, my brother, amen, and my sister. Fear the Lord, and then it'll spread to your kids. But there's no absolute guarantees. You just said at the beginning of the message, that's true. But a close to guarantee will be this. If you don't fear the Lord, your children probably won't fear the Lord and turn away from evil and be preserved in the end. But if you fear the Lord, you can hear in the end, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? It's such a huge key. Huge, uh, a huge key. And by the way, I love this table talk here. It's at the table. Very simple. Sit down with your children. Everybody gets their cell phones when they eat now. I've been in a restaurant, I went to a restaurant, and four people that sat next to me pulled up their cell phones when they, I didn't even know if they looked at the menu. And I was, I'll judge, I'm like, okay, they're all in their cell phone. That's, that's funny, they're just, all of them, like, in, like, almost like they're in the Olympics, synchronicity. Shh. I was like, wow, it's caught my eye. Wow, that's crazy. And I never saw them put them down for the meal. They never saw them talk to each other, and they left. And you might as well just go and eat in separate rooms, you know? And I'm not saying you always have to eat in the same room. But I love it when my family is over and we sit at the table and we have a barbecue and we eat children and grandchildren. And I remember my youngest daughter, Heather, saying one time, it just struck me, she goes, I love it when we sit at the table and eat together and talk. And she was a little girl and I just blessed my heart. But I'll tell you what, man, a sociologist, Cody D. Delastrati, explored some of the recent scientific literature for Atlantic Monthly and discovered something very, very interesting. And it was interesting, it said, this person said the single most important element in raising kids to be drug-free, healthy, intelligent, kind human beings in frequ uh, is frequent family dinners. Wow. And it goes on to say the, the key variable most associated with lower incidence of depression and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds is frequent family dinners. I don't believe it's the ultimate key. I believe the fear of the Lord is and the love of the Lord, amen? But guess what? That's where the fear of the Lord is taught. That's where, you know, Jesus come to me, right? But he also says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me, amen? Those are times where we have intimacy and we have fellowship with Jesus in our family. So by way of application, sit with your family. Spend time with your kids. Not just when you're at the dinner table, I loved, I was set free to have devotions with my kids when I realized it's a 24-7 thing. When you're laying down, share the word with them, right? When you're walking along the way, share the word with them. So I always share the word with my kids. You can ask my kids. We always talk about Jesus. Is that all you talk about all the time? A lot of the time, okay? You don't ever talk about sports or, or food or the beautiful day. Yeah, but glory be to God for all of it, amen? 
all goes back to Jesus. Amen? But I'll tell you what, man. When I was looking, I thought, that's an interesting study on the dinner table, man. Because you know what? Where did God's children teach their children the fear of the Lord? Remember the Passover Seder? They'd sit down and they'd do a Passover Seder once a year. And they'd recount the judgments of God and the 10 plagues that came upon Egypt. And how he's an awesome God, amen? And he's a radical God. Because if we kept reading in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, after that, he says, if your Lord is beginning wisdom, and he says to teach the kids that wisdom is crying from the streets for the kids not to get together with gangs and run to shed innocent blood and not to reject my counsel for my spirit cries out to you, young people. And then he says, but in the end, they will be held in derision, those who reject his counsel. And it says this in verse 29, because you did not choose the choice. Because you did not choose, and that's after the Spirit's calling them, because you did not choose the fear of the Lord. Encourage your children to choose the fear of the Lord. That begins with you choosing the fear of the Lord on a daily basis, amen? And recounting to them how radical God is, how awesome he is, talking about his judgments, amen? Talking about his great love, because you cannot understand the love of God unless you understand the holiness and wrath of God, amen? And how he spared you and took it upon himself, that which we deserve, amen and amen? Now, guess what? Right between the passage where it says the fear of the Lord is beginning knowledge in Proverbs 1, and then later where it says you did not choose the fear of the Lord, and then it talks about his spirit crying out, it talks about the naive ones, the simple-minded, and the mockers, three groups of different fools. The Bible uses the term fools. Throughout Proverbs, there's different gradations of fools in the book of Proverbs. Understand this. Our children are born with foolishness in their hearts. That's how we were born, Amen. We need to be taught the difference between good and evil. Those who are on milk don't know how to distinguish between good and evil. That's why I don't just teach milk here. You can get milk anywhere, okay? We teach milk and meat, okay? Because you need to make a distinction, and your kids need to make a distinction between milk and then they grow into meat so they can understand the difference between good and evil. The God came down on the priest more than once in the scripture because it says they did not make a distinction between that which is good and evil. Book of Proverbs does that. Read the book of Proverbs to your children, Amen. And you know what? Those mockers are the last end of the fool, where he doesn't just, uh, the naive one just doesn't know the difference. The simple-minded just get deceived by the mockers. The mockers are the ones who mock God. That's who I was before Christ. So if you become a mocker, there's hope for you. Turn to Jesus, okay? The apostle Paul was mocking Christ, killing people that believed in him, getting them to blaspheme him even. But God saved him, the chief of sinners. That's why I know like someone like Jeffrey Dahmer's, if he truly repented, could be saved. But you know what? I'm sharing with you right now, and I'm encouraging and encouraging this. When you read that, there's those gradations. But you know what mockers, why they become mockers? They don't have fear of God. And if you go through scripture, like Jude, man, read Jude to your kids. It talks about the mockers. Now they turn grace into a license. But woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Okay? And for pay, they've rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. And they perished in the way of Cain. It says these, are the, these evil men are the ones that hang out with you at your feast and they feast with you without fear. But he says the blackest of darkness is reserved for them. But you, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy, right, of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, he says, snatching them out of the fire. And then he also says, and on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. 
These mockers had no fear. We as believers in the New Testament, last book of the Bible next to Revelation, Jude, second last Bible, they had the fear of God, man. And they're snatching people out of the fire and they're hating the garment because they don't want to be diseased by that sin that they're trying to help somebody else out of. They're hating that sin, amen? And they're continuing to love God. Let's make sure, because your children, our children are already born fools. They grow up and they become mockers. What stops that in its track? A good, healthy dose of the fear of God and the love of God. Well, how come you didn't talk more about the love of God today? Because this message is on the fear of God. And I still squeeze a lot of love of God in there. Amen? It's like when I do a message of the love of God, somebody's like, how come you're not talking about the fear of God more? You know, come on. Okay? But brothers and sisters, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. Amen? Don't beat yourself up if you feel like you failed. Pray for your kids. Amen? Because as long as they're still alive, there's still hope. Amen. Ask the Lord for forgiveness for times we failed, for we've all failed as parents. Amen. Ask for cleansing. He'll cleanse you and say, hey, guess what? My job's not over yet. Even if my, even my kid lives in, 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 you know, downtown in Ouagadougou. That's some city in Africa I remember learning about when I was in school. But uh, just keep praying. Amen. Don't give up. But make sure, parent, yeah, I want my children, the child to fear God. It begins with you and then spread it to them and speak to them and have dinner with them and hang out with them and fellowship with them and whatever you're doing, talk to them about the Lord and how good and powerful he is. Amen. And how loving he is. Amen. Praise God. Let's all please stand. Thank you.